Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill, the most high-profile lobby group in Canberra for Australia's farmers and graziers is the National Farmers Federation. The NFF, as we know it, was formed way back in 1979, and by and large it has often led debate in the big ag issues. The National Farmers Federation has a new leader. The new president of the NFF is a third-generation grain grower and livestock producer from Western Victoria, David Yohinki. Welcome. Thank you, and um, it's a pleasure to be here. David, you've been around agri-politics for a while via the VFF and the NFF. A lot of producers, graziers, farmers shy away instantly from being involved in agri-politics. What drives you to be interested and invest so much time and energy into something like this? Well, first of all, it was a pleasure to grow up in the system, so I've always been interested in why things happen and, and to understand the root of, of cause and effect. But really, there's two things in my life that really stand out. It's obviously um, you, you influence when you're quite young. And my grandpa always used to tell me, you should be the community you want to live in. So I want to make sure that I live in a community that's caring and looks after each other and stands up for each other. So that's absolutely a natural fit for taking on roles such as this. But then secondly, I remember distinctly one of the first years I was home on the farm, I uh, had driven the truck into the silos and there's two farmers there um, talking about how they were frustrated with the the line-up and how things weren't working properly and I asked them, well, what are you doing about it? And they said, well, why should we do anything about it? And I I sort of thought to myself, well, that's the day I'm going to go to a meeting, I'm going to have my say, I'm going to vent my spleen, I'm going to try to change it to make it a, a better system, a better process. And um, I went to that meeting and I came back as the uh, secretary treasurer of the branch. <laughs> Were there other volunteers? Uh, no, I think I was conscripted, I think that's the <laughs> yes, word they used. Now, David, you got shit on your boots. Uh, by that, I mean the practical experience. You you run sheep alongside growing grain in Western Victoria. And I'm told you have a wind turbine on your farm, is that, or wind turbines? Yeah, we host um, the Murrawarra Wind Farm um, on our property along with uh, 21 other landholders. And for us, it is something that we believe in as far as renewable energies, but it has to be done in a right and sensible manner. Um, I wouldn't say we necessarily got everything correct when we were doing our negotiations, but we're always looking to improve and and make it better. And ultimately, um, agriculture does have a part to play in both climate change, climate management, and also um, ensuring we're doing our bit for the community. However, it shouldn't be at all costs, and the burden shouldn't be solely on those farms. There has to be um, a smarter way to make sure that everyone shares that pain, and the people who do host them are adequately both engaged and also remunerated. I'd reckon you might be the first NFF president to have a wind turbine on their property. Well, um, life's uh, full of firsts. And um, it's, it's not necessarily uh, – for me, it's just another part of our business. It's, we drive around trees for free, as I tell people, when we get paid to drive around these turbines. Yeah. So uh, for me, it is – obviously, I run a business and I just happen to be in the farming business and it has to be a commercial decision. So I'm pragmatic enough to understand the equation here but also know that when we talk about farms, things like farm safety, things like – our carbon numbers, making sure that we understand our place in the, the broader 
economy as well is a really important attributes for, for running a next generation successful farm. David, we'll talk about those two subjects shortly, but you had hardly drawn breath as the new president of the NFF and you put one up the ribs of the government or governments by declaring you intended to take on anti-farming government policies. That must have been close to the services. It sounded like you could hardly wait to to throw that bomb into the middle of the uh, of the political world. Well, in some ways, the reaction to it has sort of surprised me a little bit because these aren't new topics. These aren't new issues that we're facing. We've repeatedly said you, the government needs to listen and, and take some notice of our concerns and our, our desires under these the issues, and we need action. And so all we've done is package these up, lay demonstrate that the layer effect, the compounding effect of these policies are going to have a detrimental effect on agriculture. And that simply keep the Keep Farmers Farming campaign is about making sure that we can um, demonstrate good policy for agriculture. You must have lifted a scab somewhere, David, because there was plenty of reaction and from what I could see, virtually all positive and supportive. I'm, I'm only a mouthpiece. My, I see my role as being able to express the frustrations and concerns of agriculture in a way that actually builds solutions. And I want to also make it absolutely clear, this isn't about whinging. This is not about putting, presenting the problem and admiring the problem. The back end of this, we have got solutions. We're putting forward alternative points of view, of which has been worked up through rigorous policy from the National Farmers Federation member family, and I believe that we, we should be loud and proud. We, we shouldn't just accept the status quo. We shouldn't accept fate. We should determine our own fate and drive the industry, which is the whole reason why I got involved in the first place. Does any one particular anti-farming policy stand out as distinctly needing some attention? Well, there's multiple, unfortunately. They are all of equal concerns and also have different uh, impacts across the farming community. So this week we're definitely focusing on the water uh, introduction of the amendment to the Murray-Darling Basin Plan Water Bill. We're concerned that the topic of buybacks have been put on the table and also the removal of the socioeconomic impact test. These are some of the foundation points of agreement that we, we actually agreed to back when the plan was put into place. We understood if we went through that initial round of buybacks, the pain that those communities went through, the absolute social upheaval that we went through, would never have to be experienced again. And yes, the government has said that they're going to put compensation on the table, but we have no idea what areas are going to be hit. We have no idea how much this is going to cost. We believe that this is um, a blank check that we, we shouldn't just impose on people. We want people to be a part of the conversation. And for us, that conversation is around how do we manage the environmental water that we've currently got better, and that's by executing or putting those projects that have been proposed, um, completing them, making sure that the state and federal government work together to deliver those programs that will not only improve water efficiency, but also use that water smarter to get better environmental outcomes. Let's exhaust those opportunities first. And yes, that will need more time, and yes, that will need leverage between the states. But once again, this was a consensus plan put together by all the states. Yes, they haven't necessarily all been delivered, but it doesn't mean we, we give up on those projects altogether and just go straight for voluntary buybacks. Is it harder, you think, to get your farming message through when you have Labor governments right through the Murray-Darling Basin, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia, 
and, of course, in Canberra? Well, for me, this isn't... We're not playing politics here. We're just focusing on the policy. And our message is really simple. Everybody in Parliament has a responsibility to vote with their conscience, to vote and understand the consequences of the outcome of their voting. And whatever colour they are, whatever creed, whatever their beliefs are, they need to understand the ramifications of the current policy that sits in front of them. And this goes further than that into the, the live export of sheep, the, the undermining of producers who have built a whole industry in Western Australia, uh, mainly on, on that outcome. And then when we talk about access to farmland for transmission lines, how can we make that process a better process to achieve outcomes where it's not affecting farmland as much or those producers as much, that it's simply a a way of increasing the farmer voice in that process earlier. We we want to work with government, but we also want to call out what we believe are issues that have gone, that, that are taking agriculture in the wrong trajectory that are not actually benefiting our nation. I want to stay with the Murray-Darling Basin for a moment, but I will get to that live sheep export issue. The Murray-Darling Basin scheme over recent years, billions of dollars has been spent, I suspect, and the checkbook appears to be still open. If the present buyback plans go ahead, what will that do to farming in the basin? Well, one real key sticking point was agriculture signed up to the plan understanding that it had to do pain at the start, and that pain has absolutely reshaped many industries. So what we fear is that we will see a repeat of uh, history, and what we don't want is uh, people to have their livelihoods undermined, their access to um, this most valuable resource that they have got uh, taken away from them. So. For us, we believe that money has to be spent on making sure these projects are achieved in a, in a meaningful way and that there are other options than, than just buying buying the water, such as um, potentially leasing the water if, if we get to that stage and that need to have more water go to the environment. But that means that that water isn't lost to irrigators. That means that water is still accessible um, if there's damage being shown to the communities or when there's excess water for the environment and and the water can't be utilised downstream, if that's where the, where the purpose or the project might be, but that water can actually be used by irrigators again. So once again, we are trying to put forward solutions that are not necessarily government policy at the moment, but actually achieve as good outcomes. I'm speaking with David Johinke. He's president of the National Farmers Federation. Back with David after this short commercial break. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your wieners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinocard. Available from your local vet today. 
For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. You're back on The Grill with Beef Central. Our guest today, David Johinke, he's the new president of the National Farmers Federation. Two um, agricultural dams in Queensland planned for uh, Queensland by, for agriculture. Uranda and Hell's Gate have now been effectively cancelled, apparently to protect the Great Barrier Reef from being declared by UNESCO as endangered. Uh, any, any views on this decision? Once again, any infrastructure that is being put into place needs to be considered from all angles. And when we talk about the Great Barrier Reef and the protection of it, we are wanting to make sure that uh, agriculture doesn't have an impact and we want to be very, very uh, mindful both on the cause and effect of what um, is occurring with uh, both nutrients um, on the on the reef and the way that we, we manage agriculture in those catchments. When we talk about water management and the access to water, it is once again the lifeblood of, um, of, of the irrigation districts to either reduce capacity or potentially miss out on development. Um, for us, that's, that's, what, that's what Australia was built on. The, our cities are built on usually good farmland. Our, our population um, enjoys a, a, a developed lifestyle that has um, a selection of food and and uh, some awesome choices in 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 the production systems that you can con- buy that food that you can consume that food through. So, if there's anything that takes away from those um, that ability for farmers to either um, maintain their production or potentially grow their production, um, it has to be for solid reasons, and we're not necessarily sure which way we should proceed in those two circumstances. What do you think of uh, outside bodies like the UN telling Australians how to run their environment and how to run their farming practices? Well, when we talk about sustainability and explaining that to the world, we are unique in our soils, in our climate, and in the way that we farm. In many circumstances, Australians actually lead the adoption of new technology and, in fact, create uh, innovators in um, creating new techniques and promoting them to the world. So when we have external factors explaining or trying to put us into the box of the view, their lens, their view of what agriculture is, it's it's a it's a hard rub for us. So that's why we are determined to make sure that our environmental credentials, our environmental framework is um, both developed and used front and centre when we talk trade when we talk both then credentials domestically and internationally, so that Australian agriculture is measured against itself, not a rainforest in Brazil, not in um, high rainfall areas of the European Union, but in its own unique environment, which we believe we do a fantastic job to manage because almost every circumstance you'll find a multi-generational farm um, still producing as much, if not more, than the previous generation did, and for me, that is a definition of sustainability, noting too that agriculture itself is um, looking to make sure its credentials, its ability to demonstrate 
the great um, aspects of land management, land stewardship to the to the rest of the world. So I believe we're on the right track. We have to create our own standards, and we can't accept external pressures being put onto us. We have to make sure that we're leading this discussion. That means that we need to take action as well. Uh, speaking of external pressures, Professor Peter Ridd has been quoted as saying that some scientific organisations have become ideologically hostile to the productive, and these are his words, to the productive heart of the Australian economy, a.k.a. farming. Uh, when we talk about the different sciences and we talk about academia, there's some really smart people doing some really great things. What we need to do is make sure that they come into the to our world, the, the world of actual production. And it's it's mighty hard to grow a crop in a, in an office with paper and a pen or a computer. But actually out in the field, it's even harder when those same pieces of paper and computers make legislation or determine what is a viable option. So we need a combining of the minds here. We, it's not an us and them scenario, and it never should it be. But when ambit claims are being made by people who haven't got their dirt underneath their fingers, it's a real frustration of farmers to to be able to find a, a bridge that we can both walk over. So I would encourage anybody who, who has an opinion of agriculture to go out there and see what we do, to actually go and see how we can promote best practice. And, and if, if there are areas that we need to improve on, let's actually, once again, link arms and, and try to make it better not run run an industry down or say ambient claims that on paper X and Y don't add up. It's about us actually achieving outcomes and coming up with solutions. That's where we need to focus. That's where we need the energy. David or DJ, as I know you prefer to be called DJ, two words, climate change, one giant story. What will be your NFF attitude or policy to the inevitable widespread carbon credits issue, which of course is itself a child of climate change? Well, for starters, Anybody within agriculture that is talking about um, carbon credits or ACUs or any other system that they can both prove their carbon credentials and also financially be remunerated for it, need to just take a breath and understand what their needs are first. We would rather see insets, which is using those uh, credentials to make sure that we maintain, if not grow, production, than having offsets where you're actually helping other industries um, forgive their sins for not being a part of um, the climate solution. Look, now, there's a lot of people out there, the arguments can go on and on about what is the cause of um, an effect of having more carbon um, in, the, in the atmosphere. The reality is there are external pressures from financial institutes for how we report um, on our environmental standards. And agriculture understands that we have a part to play in this and we want to make sure that we're looking after our own first. Hence why we talk about the Australian Agricultural Sustainability Framework, that carbon is included in that. And we want to make it a practical solution for farmers to say, yeah, actually, I'm growing great pastures or I'm retaining my stubbles or um, I actually have a, have a strategy to be able to either breed better livestock so I turn them off quicker so therefore my methane per kilogram has actually been reduced. We want farmers to embrace that and, and celebrate those attributes and be proud of them too. So when we talk climate, whichever facet that you, whichever lens you look at it, if we can be, be less wasteful, have less opportunity for overuse of, of a certain input and so we can maximise the efficiency, for me that is actually addressing some of those climate issues. And once again, agriculture's got a part to play, but I really encourage all producers to, to look at what their needs are first, to understand their numbers, 
before we charge too far down any route that um, can curtail or limit production. DJ, there is or there could be a lot of money involved for farmers in the uh, in the carbon game. Should there be maybe be more regulation? Do we need an overarching body to keep an eye on the the creation, the measurement and the sale of carbon credits? Well, there's a lot of things in any developing um, industry or developing um, market that needs to be balanced. And I would suggest that, uh, once again, until we uh, have experienced the highs and lows of what this market can be, farmers should be cautious. They should um, look after themselves and not rely on third parties to be responsible for their for putting them first. Unfortunately, um, I do fear that there will be um, people taken advantage of or um, people overcommitting and being on the wrong side of the ledger if, if they're not careful. So it is a message of cautious, cautiously um, working through the process. And once again, I want people to be talking about insets before offsets. Yes. Uh, now, the live sheep export business out of the West, uh, the importers, the importers of the sheep from the Middle East will get their sheep from another country where there's no such welfare policy as SCAS. Has this been explained properly to the powers that be in Canberra? Well, we believe we've made our position very clear about the credentials of the Australian trade and its impact on animal welfare globally, and that we are world leaders. There are no other countries that run a program that's uh, as audible as and also as deep-reaching as what we have in Australia, our SCAS system. Now... We also know that the current importing countries are going to uh, import live sheep from multiple countries, even if we exit the market. And so the argument of um, achieving better animal welfare outcomes for us is a a null and void. We are leading. We are the world leaders. We are the ones who have set the standard. And by exiting these markets, the, the situation, we believe, will get worse for the animal trade. And if we talk about... Oh, people need to be educated in any way of life. Isn't walking the talk the best way to do it, to demonstrate the, the, the actual benefits? And yes, there are going to be people who are opposed to sheep being slaughtered overseas. And heck, they're probably going to be opposed to sheep being slaughtered on, on our shores. Yes, they're right, they've got every right to have a say. But to actually um, remove that ability for agriculture to improve the animal welfare globally, that's to me, counterproductive, and it's something that we have made extremely clear and very loud that the industry has changed from when the initial proposal was put forward through, which means that the facts have changed, which means the decision needs to be changed. David, uh, DJ Farm Safety, I'll start by reading a sort of a NFF mission statement from your website. The NFF's top priority is safeguarding the safety and well-being of farmers, farm workers and families with a target of zero farm fatalities by 2030. Now, given the on-farm death toll on Australian farms has been hovering around 40 for many, many years, that is a big call. And it's something I absolutely believe in, and every farmer needs to believe in. And it is extremely devastating to a community when one of their own is lost. And unfortunately, until that happens, we don't have enough people taking it seriously. On a regular basis, I hear of near misses, and a near miss isn't a near miss. It is a fatality waiting to happen. And as I've said, one of my clear missions at any time I stand up with any farmer group and I'll talk to as many farmers as I can and I'll talk to them blue in the face that farm safety isn't just your workers, it's you, it's your family. 
And it's something that we really need to take seriously. So for me, I really, I am so passionate about this one. I want to make sure that every farmer, when they go home, they take a deep breath and go, I just need 15 seconds to think about what I'm doing. How can I do it in a safer way? How can I make sure that I can make this process better? How can I make sure that piece of machinery is safer? Because that is something that they can get hooked up on. And as we get older, when we're working in hot, dry, cold, wet conditions, the situations mean that we're not going to be as nimble. And something that we might have got away with, we're going to get caught up in the future. And we can't afford to lose anyone in agriculture. Workforce is hard as what it is. That's one side of it. But that's not actually the point. The point is every number is a person. And that person had a family. And that person had dreams. And we don't want to lose anyone. And and for me, I, I can't speak more passionately that this is a core belief of mine. It's a core belief of the organisation. It's a core belief of the the members of the NFF family that we need everybody to contribute to this target to to make sure that they're doing what they can because I don't want any, I don't want to lose anyone. I don't want to have anyone on my watch um, make a decision that can that can affect um, a whole family um, or multiple people. When, when it could have been easily avoided or um, potentially completely removed. PJ, I know you're also keen on the mental health of Australian farmers. I, can I quote you, and I'm sure you know these figures, but just for our listeners' uh, uh, information, I want to quote these suicide rates for farmers up to 94% higher than non-farmers. One farmer dies by suicide every 10 days in Australia. What can the NFF do about this? This one is as simple as the first one as far as it starts with a conversation. It starts with a phone call. It starts with checking in on your mates. It actually is our industry taking responsibility to put our hands up to say that we want to destigmatise the the whole conversation. And I, I know everyone's spoken about mental health and there wouldn't be a day go by where we we haven't either remembered somebody or been touched or know of somebody that's been touched by the insidious black dog. And for me, it's about both making sure that we've got the right assets, the right uh, resources for farmers to call on when they need that support or when when, when people within agriculture, you know, not just farmers, because agriculture is bigger than just the, the person sitting on a on a horse or a tractor or or on a handpiece. It's everybody that, that is touched by ag that, that we need to make sure we get around and support. So we need to have the resources. We need to be able to talk about it. We need everybody to look after each other as well. So if, you, if you're not hearing from somebody you used to always hear from, speak up. Give them a call. If, you're, if you've got people who, who um, are probably a bit more lively than they usually are or, or, or have changed their own personalities, just ask them directly, how are you going? And don't accept, I'm good, mate. And this is the one thing that we all do in Australia. How are you going? I'm good. That's not an answer. That's just us being polite to each other. The real answer is, I've had a really hard day. Something's gone wrong with my machinery. Um, uh, I've had a bit of a issue with my dad or my mum or whatever else. That's a real conversation. And when until we get down to some of those real conversations, the whole mental health, the, the ability for us to transcend what is um, an insidious issue 
and make it a, a, a allowing people to express their feelings, express their their concerns. It's, it's until that we can get to that level of conversation, it's going to be a really challenging um, uh, number or, or an issue for us to face. But I believe in agriculture. I believe we've got great people. We've got awesome stories to tell. Let's just share them between ourselves to start with, and then the broader community. And for me, that actually helps break down those concerns that people have around where they sit within their own troubles, their own tribulations. And like everything in life, a problem shared is a problem halved. And the more we can discuss, the more we can actually shine a light on these issues, hopefully that reduces people's anxieties, people's depression, and, and just allows them to be uh, to express their feelings once again because that is the we are a people business. That is the heart of what we do. We we need people in agriculture. We feed people, we are a people industry. Well put, uh, David. Uh, keep farmers farming is a phrase you're very, very fond of. How do you hope this will play out in your term as NFF president? Well, for me, it is a combination, once again, of policies that we have all been facing. It is about making sure that agriculture is considered as a whole when we talk about policy and departments. It's not uh, a single issue in water or a single issue in the industrial relations or a single issue in a trade portfolio. All agriculture touches so many different portfolios. We want to make sure it's collective. When something's presented, they should ask, what impact does this have on agriculture? What's the combination? What's the compounding effect that this will have? And that is simply what Keep Farmers Farming is. It's making sure that agriculture is considered, that the outcome needs to be uh, about productivity means to make sure that it's about sustainability, not about reducing either of those two attributes. And it is, uh, in some ways, a catchphrase. It is something that we can rally around, but it also demonstrates to the, the rural community that not only have we been fighting these these issues for a long time, we're also very serious that we hear their voice, we see them, we believe in them, and we're here to fight for them. David or DJ Johinke has no doubt you will become known. Congratulations on your elevation to this very high task. I'm sure I speak for every farmer and grazing in Australia when I say good luck in all you do and all the challenges you have in this enormous task. Thank you for your time today on The Grill for Beef Central. Yeah, thanks, Kerry. That's really good. And thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan. This has been The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis.